Google Chambers. Hey, good evening everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our fifth Funny About Books podcast. My name is Stella. I am your host of featuring comedians who write books and books about comedy in particular. Tonight, you are part of our podcast that features the very fabulous uh, award-winning and regular at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Lauren Bock. Yes, thank you for having me. Let's all pretend I've never been up here before. (laughs) And, uh, oh, here we go, a bit louder now. And uh, and, uh, the author of this new book and a comedian in her own right, also a very long-term age journalist. Uh, She's written No Apologies and her name is Joanne Brookfield. Will you please give her a round of applause as well? So tonight we're going to concentrate on this book. No apologies. Now, the the the, the sort of the, the theme behind the idea of this podcast, and let's be clear, it seems like everybody has a podcast these days. It's a bit like being gluten intolerant. Uh, but um, <laughs> the point is, I want to know what uh, what goes on in the mind of the author, who is both performer, who can take an idea for a very very long walk and turn it into a full size novel. So congratulations, Joanne. This is great Thank work. You still are. Uh, now, the uh, the book's about to launch, and we'll talk about the launch at the end of the podcast, but no apologies. So let's start with the title. Where did that come from? Um, where did that come from? There's no – actually, there's no interesting story behind that. Sorry. Uh, that's <laughs> what, a, what a great way to start, <laughs> kick off. Oh, buy my book. There's nothing interesting about it, um, including the title. No, I guess it's um, – I, I guess you might be apologising. <laughs> I am, aren't I? Oh, my God. Um, no, I guess part, part of it is uh, I was talking to the publishing company about writing a book about women in comedy and uh, and I guess, you know, from a feminist perspective, we're sort of constantly – I think you were addressing it earlier in, in your own stand-up about – What, me? Having to, having to, having to apologise all the time and, and, you know, just sort of um, – we're not allowed to get it right, but we're always told we're getting it wrong. And so I guess that's probably where the title comes from, just that kind of defiant in the face of that idea. Well, more, more pertinently, uh, we are living in interesting times. I think it's fair to say, and I didn't write that quote. Someone a long time ago said that before me. But we are living in interesting times and there is a zeitgeist happening at the moment. So we, we I think we know you don't need to do stand-up comedy to know that it's quite hard to do. Um, most people would prefer to, in fact, die than do stand-up comedy. Um, so... <laughs> You're so brave, Lauren. You're so brave. Like you could say I'm funny. Uh, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. It's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? That that the the act or the art of 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 narrative storytelling on stage can can also induce almost um sort of a, a desire for spontaneous combustion on, on for, for people. But um so so no apologies. So you you've written a book that is largely about the zeitgeist of what is happening at the moment in the post Me Too movement, which is that women are starting to claim some space again. And I just want to put it out there before we get stuck into the nitty gritty. And if you really know the meaning of nitty gritty, that's a very funny thing to say. But this is the nitty gritty and we're getting stuck into <laughs> it. Not quite. It freaks you out if you know the real meaning of it. Anyhow um, I just want to say to all the gentlemen in the room uh, tonight, thank you, and also any any of the fellas listening to this podcast. Uh, look, we we have enormous amounts of respect, but we are in an interesting point at, at a watershed moment in time, and we need to have a conversation about it. And that's I guess that's fair to say. So buckle in. Um, <laughs> 
So what's what's happening, Joe? And what what prompted you then? What did you, what was the uh, what was the urge that made you feel that you needed to put so many words to print uh, with regard to what is happening with women in comedy at the moment? I was contractually obligated, <laughs> um, so there was that. <laughs> but but to answer it's your always question, always motivator. <laughs> um, I I guess it's that thing that I'm like I'm. I am going to apologise because I'm like super earnest about this topic and that kind of undermines a lot of the potential for comedy. But um, I just think it's a really important conversation that we're having. And, and for me, this is more than just a book. This is I'm, – I'm really hoping this is my contribution to the global conversation we're having and I'm hoping that it will continue that conversation and, and spark new and different angles and topics and that kind of thing from this conversation we're having because it's just uh, – it's so important. And I don't want it to be – I'm a journalist, it's my day job and – I'm very much aware of the 24-hour news cycle and it would be very easy for me to and Time's Up and Black Lives Matter and all these things to just, just sort of be sort of swept away in that kind of um, – in the idea of it's done, it's over, we're moving on and, and we need to keep talking about these things. So that's my super serious and earnest answer to that question. So, so it's, not a, it's not a viral catchphrase. So, something is happening just at the moment mm. and uh, and a lot of people are being able to examine that in great length. So when, when I started the book, um, it, it of course takes you back to a lot of the pioneer female comedians in Australia, but I'll put a caveat on that. We're really only looking at, um, at females who are working around the traps from say the late 70s into the early 80s. And we know of course that there's a huge history in Australia of female comedians working in all sorts of arenas um, and largely uh, vaudeville early on um, in Australia. So let's kind of get started with that. When the likes of people like Wendy Harmer and uh, Judith Lucy and uh, Jean Kitson uh, were, were starting out, there was venues. In fact, the, the comedy scene in Melbourne in particular was absolutely thriving, uh, but it was a pretty um, male-dominated uh, arena. A lot of us worked in it at the time and a lot of us just figure that that was the way that it was but but things have started to shift and these women really kicked that off so joanne how did you go about putting the book together you've done a lot of interviews with women yeah i've interviewed over 60 women in in the book and um could have kept going you know that's one of the things that's often said is that oh we can't book women because there's no women in comedy or you know like well, where I are they book, all it's, it's very hard to book um, women in comedy these days because most of them right are working here, you just yeah. have to <laughs> exactly and so <laughs> and so that's one of the things that like I've um I just literally could have kept going with the interviews but at a certain point there's only so much time and so many words and so many pages that our interview you, was maybe what two and a half hours or something like that for yes. a long time she plied me with gin and tonics and then it all just comes out you know like it was but it was such an interesting an honest conversation I think we had with each other because we do know each other as mm. as friends as well. And I think that was the kind of what I got out of being a part of this like narrative is that it is a hugely connected community, like comedy in general, but then the women in it, they are, they are with you in the traps. They are beside you. And sometimes you walk into a room and there is only men in the room and on the stage and you're the only voice there that's a bit different and you can actually sometimes i'm not kidding you can feel like the men in the audience kind of go this isn't going to work for podcasts but i'm folding my arms <laughs> and being like well you know or they'll go and get a drink or something like can be, you mind their sphincters clenching <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I don't know. Um, that was worth it. And so, and if there's any other women in the like on the bill with you, you just kind of gravitate to each other, and like it just it becomes this kind of like 
you know, the sisterhood, an absolute sisterhood that sort of really sees you through, especially when you're coming up and you're going to open mic comedy when there is some disastrous material, some really like phobic, racist, like sexist stuff that's like been spewed out by these dudes on stage. And you're at the back going, this doesn't, is this what comedy is, you know? And then some girl who's, you know, will come sidling up to you and you'll be like, hey, it's going to be all right, okay? I'll add you to a few Facebook groups and we've got a secret girls chat and you are going to have a (laughs) fine time. So it kind of moves on from there, I Mm, think. mm. And yeah, I just felt like when, when we did that, two and a half hours and I'm like, Oh, I'm in the book a little bit, but uh, no, you're in the book a lot, Laura. And, and, and um, what what was it that you felt that you wanted to to contribute in in terms of kind of getting this on the record? Um, I think it, there is a part in the book if I can talk about the permission sure. stuff, and you yeah, can of talk course. about it too. Um, in my show last year, I had a little passage and I talked about um, permission because I think sometimes it's very difficult for women to give themselves permission to do things. I've been a comic now for about eight years. I occasionally will have women come up to me and they'll go, oh, I'm thinking about doing stand-up, you know, I kind of want to get into it, oh, you know, but I don't know yet and I don't know and I've written a lot of stuff down and I'm not sure if I'm going to get up and I don't think I'm ready yet. And I say to them every time, I'm like, hello, I give you permission to do this thing. I give it to you. You have permission, all right? Because they're just sort of holding back because I don't it's, – it's fear – like, you know, it's that fear of, like, getting on stage alone and having people approve. It's a, it is a brave thing, I guess. And I really – so in the show, I talk about how I had to have someone else give me permission to do stand-up. And then I then give the permission to the audience to do anything that they really want to do. Um, and then, except murdering, I do say that. <laughs> you're not allowed to murder anybody. Um, and it always has this really nice moment to it where people come up to me afterwards and they go, we get in our own way, you know. And I think that the more women I can give permission to to get up and do stand-up, it's just that one little mental block that can just leap over and then I think we'll, like we have this groundswell happening at the moment because the more people that give each other permission to do it and validate those voices on stage the more women we see getting up and doing it. And it's it's already, you know, there's a real movement happening here. It's more more women I've seen in comedy and I've been doing it for eight years as well. Like, Oh, look, so you can't many. walk down the street from Melbourne without falling over a comedian these days. But, and um, that's can, true can I well. just on that, I just said that was the serendipity of, of the, the timing of the book because um, basically I, I pitched it when I was in Edinburgh in um, 2017 and so that was the beginning of it and then obviously Melbourne Fringe comes right on the back of that so Edinburgh is the largest arts event on the planet and that happens in August and so Melbourne Fringe kicks off September, October and so I saw uh, Lauren's show that she's talking about where she was talking about doing permission so I just sort of was just starting to formulate what would be in the book, how am I going to approach this topic of women in comedy, how do I want to structure it and then um, because in, in the telling of Lauren's story I obviously related because I have a background as a stand-up myself many years ago now um, but what she was talking about that idea of permission was something that really resonated with me and I just kind of went it's that thing that I think it's I think that is particularly gendered because yes. I, I think I think men are just kind of encouraged to just go for it and women are encouraged oh do you want to maybe think about that before you know mm. and we just have a little bit more kind of hesitancy and and the fact that she was talking about it in a way that um for me as a stand-up I really related to it um and that's why I was like well she's got to be in the book and I she was literally to write the book Joanne okay <laughs> hey, she was literally the first interviewee for the book she she was that our mm. yes Brunswick at which Pub point I would imagine as an author okay. you would either work out whether you've got a book or you haven't got a book so that would have been fairly seminal so who gave you permission then to uh to write 
write a book? Permission to write a book? Um, mm. Well, look, I'm a, I'm a journalist and uh, have been forever and so I'm used to writing and used to being paid to write and all that kind of stuff. So in some ways it's kind of um, my a natural my extension. day job yeah. sort of thing. And what but, about the- but, but equally um, there's certain things in life that I've wanted to achieve. One of those is being a stand-up. One of those is writing a book. There's a few other things on the list. Well, you could die so, now, I think, Joanne. You've done um, both. So, um, so in that sense, yeah, I guess it was just um, a natural progression in some ways. And who gave you permission to do stand-up then? That's a tricky one because um, – I mean, I guess ultimately you have to give that to yourself yes. because Lauren wasn't doing stand-up that night. <laughs> Lauren wasn't Liz. around that <laughs> Lauren, I'm interested in what you said, though, um, that we get in our own way. When that woman said that to you, did she mean we, as in women, get in our own way or we get in our individual own way? Oh, we get in – you get in your own way. Yeah. Like, you, you're your own fun police. Yeah. You know, that is sort of like – I for years I, you know, I was in the comedy closet. That's what I t- t- called it, like – I was like, no, no, I couldn't possibly just stand up, no, no. But it was because it's the thing that you really want to do and you care about it so much that you like kind of like hide it away a little bit because to actually kind of voice the words and say it is is terrifying and such a risk, you know. It's and a great risk, great reward. So I, I sat on it for years and years and if you'd like tap me on the shoulder – like, you know, 15 years ago and been like, you're going to be a stand-up, on, you're going to stand on stage and you're going to talk about this stuff, then I would have I would have fainted in front of you for, for like, you know, until I had my first gig, you know, much as I was thinking about it so much and well, I want to ask so time-consuming and I tell you what, like, I before that first gig, I have never pooed as much as I ever have. <laughs> in my oh, good old comedy, nervous poo. Comedy there keeps you regular. It does. Right. <laughs> Well, Woody Allen said uh, he always wanted to do stand-up comedy but he was worried that everybody would laugh at him. Um, <laughs> and I think we can resonate uh, – it does it resonates with a lot of us because that's actually the fear that they will laugh at us but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. So someone gave you permission and then you went and did your first tryout night in Leeds in England. I did, yes. Yep. And, and what happened apart from the poo? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was my boyfriend. He was encouraging of me which was awesome. Um, this is like quite a while ago. And uh, in Leeds, they had like this big open mic tent at like a big festival during the day. And I was like, I guess open mic's a thing. Uh, so I went down there and the guy's like, all right, yeah, come back in a couple of hours. We'll put you up. So I went to the pub for a couple of hours. And that's where all of the toileting happened. Um, but I, did, I, I didn't drink too much, to be honest. Um, and I went back and then I must have talked for about 15 minutes. Just told some. St- I've been travelling, so it was like travelling. St- it was much more storytelling. I didn't know what a joke was for probably the first two years that I think I was trying to do stand up. But I think maybe the environment had been on the other side of the world, so there was no one around to kind of like, you know, there was something. There was something about the kindness of strangers and for not not you know, and just having that on the day is when I decided you know that I was going to do it. I just needed to rip that band aid off and. They were, they were a lovely crowd. I could see them because it was broad daylight and they were sitting down on the ground. And afterwards, a lot of them came up to me and said, oh, you know, you, that was really great and you should keep going. And I think maybe in England there is like a bit more of an idea of like, you know, fostering new talent and emerging kind of, you know, they well, really can, get can behind I, people. Can I interrupt just for a moment then? I, I, it's curious because it keeps coming up this idea that places other than Australia are more encouraging. 
And mm. I, I don't exactly know if that's true. There's certainly a sensation that feels that way. But I think perhaps what we are experiencing at the moment, because there is a collision of a number of movements happening at the same time, and it's a long time since I've lived in Byron Bay, so I have no idea what the planets are doing. But mm. the point I guess I want to make is, are we a bit tough on performers in Australia, d- d- regardless of gender? Are we do are we a country that actually would rather people just you know shut up and and stay in their little box, or do do we think that's true? Or do you think it's people are more encouraging overseas than they are here? Because I've I've spent um, a fair bit of time in the US. Like I've sort of parked myself over there for the full extent of tourist visas and done that numerous times. And and that was one of the sort of almost shocking things to um, spend time with Americans and they're just... Well, like in general. Or, well, <laughs> no, well <laughs> no, but like, uh, well, I mean, it's partly because it was in LA and it was in Hollywood, but everybody's working on projects and everybody has the expectation that you're there with a dream and that you're there with a project and that you have multiple projects and that you have multiple talents and that you're out there and you're going for it. And we're a sporting nation and so we don't sort of, I, I don't think that we value the arts in the same way and I do think we react differently to, you know, it's okay to say you want to be a footballer, but if you want to say I want to be an actor or a singer I think people react very differently in your sort of immediate um, tribe socially um, may I ask the audience is anyone here that really wanted to do something but didn't feel that that they they had permission to do that yeah Yeah? Yeah. and do do you think Mm. that's got something to do with the culture in Australia or was it you know perhaps your own family conditioning I feel like the phrase that came to comes to mind is like tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy syndrome. We we are we absolutely like labelled with down. that to, to a certain extent. I'm just curious if that's actually true or not, because what we're in because in the book really what you explore, Joanne, is the fact that despite all of these privations and inhibitions, um, people have found a way through. Um, so uh, in that respect, it's quite a celebration that, uh, that that those walls have actually started to, to be broken down and it's come through camaraderie, I guess, to some extent. Um, because there isn't the infrastructure. The the comedy scene in Melbourne in particular now is a little bit odd. It's very, um, it's very quirky and unusual. There's lots of them, but not necessarily working in such a way that supports the comedians that work there. Uh, so, so something is happening. But so, so what 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 are your conclusions then after having written this book? Because it's it's filled with um, interviews with with as you say, sixty uh, Australian performers. Um, many of whom do repeat again and again the difficulties that they've faced and yet they're actually experiencing great uh, success at the moment. So something really good has in fact happened. Um, so what are your conclusions then, Joanne, uh, as to uh, where the comedy scene in Australia is going? Because there's comedians everywhere now. Look, I think it's really healthy and really exciting and that's part of my passion for, for comedy. I just think it's such... Uh, a dynamic art form that can just respond immediately like um, something like Christchurch the other day can happen and and literally that night comedians can be on stage starting to talk about it and 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 filter through a comedic lens what's going on in the world and all the rest of it and and I think it's a really powerful art form for being able to sort of prevent present sorry uh, different points of view that um, and that's, I guess, part of the idea of the book of finding your voice and claiming your space and telling your story is that it's it's really important that we have this diversity of perspectives and um, stories and viewpoints because it can't all be filtered through the one set of eyes. You know, we need to have all kinds of people telling their stories 
because this is how we sort of, I guess, um, breed empathy and understanding and and all, all those kinds of things that we need to sort of, you know, continue just as part of being human beings with our humanity. That, that was so, really well said. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Um, so, so, Lauren, in your work as a comedian then, you, you, you seem like you're, you know, you're pretty happy in your skin and you're, you're pretty robust in your content and so forth. But um, <laughs> That's what a, so kind of you. <laughs> Well, I, 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 I think that's what I love about comedy, though. You'll Very see nice. an actor or someone will say something, then it does change you a bit. And tonight your dance changed me, I think. <laughs> your mime has changed me forever. I will take that. Um, but uh, I reckon in the first two years of your career, you wouldn't have done that mime dance. No, absolutely no. I had those mimey bits and... I don't know. I've been getting into mime. Um, <laughs> my parents are very it's a proud. Big, yeah, it's a career move. It is sexy mimes. Yeah. You're very um, good at it. I know. Uh, why? Why was this what I was put on earth to do? I don't know. I and I mean that was also you know that was a a weird idea I had one time because I, I had another one in in an earlier show. My first ever solo show is at a burrito in your pocket, or you're just happy you have a burrito, and there was a part of it. Uh, where I mimed uh, waking up after a um, over a night out and escaping from a room, but everything, of course, is mimed. And I I really buried it in the middle of the show because I was like, I don't know what they're gonna, I don't know how they're gonna respond to this. This is a little bit out there. And it was to um it was to a song as well because I find music really influences my comedy a lot. And um and that was I really kind of buried it and I never really performed it outside of that one solo hour. And and in, in the sort of progression of my kind of career and sort of feeling like actually, you know, this is actually something unique that's like I can do and sometimes stand up feels like you just have to get up and say jokes. And I feel like that is still quite a kind of a masculine kind of thing. Like a set up and a punchline and a set up and a punchline. <laughs> She's uh, gesturing She's uh, gesturing here. into like there's this real kind of phallic. I've just been mind jizzed for you the know? people I did. I mind jizzed. She came all over the I audience. I did. <laughs> and you know what? And that's kind of, I'm just like, I'm not here for you to like, you know, to hear your like dodgy dick jokes. You know what I mean? Like, and um, and now, I, now I'm like, you know what? Like, screw it. Like, this is. This is my flavour of comedy, um, you know. I Come feel flavoured by really, the looks of it. Yes, it. <laughs> I feel really empowered. I mean, that's kind of pretty much the word that I'm like, no, nah, I'm putting this front and centre. I'm going to use it to sell my show. Come and see. Lauren Mark do lots of stuff. Um, All right. Well, look, you, you kind of said the buzzword. It is, in fact, empowering. And um, and I could I can only highly recommend it to all of you. Come and do some stand-up. It's actually mm-hmm. remarkably empowering. And I suppose what is interesting at the moment is that, I, I guess, for the longest time, um, the way a woman looked uh, was really the, the, you know, like the, the her passport. Um, and that especially perhaps is something that we've successfully, we I've claimed some ownership there. I have none. I'm just talking. But <laughs> I think that perhaps that is where comedy is so brilliant because it can celebrate diversity in, in such uh, extreme ways, in such uh, short uh, spurts on a night full of, you know, like a half a dozen different comedians from all walks of life. And, and, and that's more something than any other art in this form, as well. I would argue, because... Um, you know, and that's what I've tried really hard in the book is to kind of get um, hopefully a sense of the 
the landscape. So I've got women in the book who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. I've got women in capital cities and regional centres. I've got queer women, trans women, non-binary people, women of colour, you name it, like just trying to get that um, and, and all different life experiences, people who have survived cancer, people who are mothers, people who are single, you know, you name it. And, and that's, again, for me, one of the reasons why I'm, you know, such a passionate fan of comedy is that, you know, it really reflects the all of us as human beings and you know we've all got a story to tell and and you know and that's what's great about comedy is that you can be 16 and get up as part of class clowns the melbourne international comedy festival kind of program for teenagers or you can be 72 and go fuck it i'm gonna have a crack at open mic tonight and and be on stage you know two hours later being a comedian like this kind of in in a really pure sense, there's no barriers to anyone doing comedy and I think that's something that we really need to keep no, encouraging and celebrating. Although somewhat awkwardly I realise we have no disability access on either side of the, of the stage, so mm-hmm. might, I might work on that. Um, but no, you're right, and as you say in the book, you can't go, you can't go uh, overnight to become a prima ballerina, you can't. But you can, curiously, become overnight a comedian and uh, you may not be the best comedian in the world and perhaps you've got years ahead of you before you are, but that's actually the, de- the difference. You you are a comedian when you have a microphone and uh, the audience and see the audience. This is this is the the curious relationship. We can't do it without you. You can't rehearse without a live crowd. And it's such a such an intrinsic and intimate relationship. And you know here we are bearing our soul to a bunch of people I don't know and uh, may never get to know better. But it's a it's a very curious nexus, isn't it? And for better or worse too, because that's one of the, the things with comedy is that you can see someone like Judith Lucy who's been doing it for 30 years and equally potentially if the, the lineup is structured in such a way, you might see someone that's only been doing it for two months who's the, the warm-up act at the start of the night and, and the audience has an expectation that everyone on the bill is going to be equally Five as funny. Well, it's, so, yes, it's like Airbnb, um, isn't it? Everybody's expectant, <laughs> expectations are always incredibly high. Um, so, Joanne, how did you then compile the book? Obviously there were interviews. How long did it take you to write? Most of last year. Um, and, and what was your process or your methodology? A lot of crying and drinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, the, the magic creative gypsies come and they just work through your fingers and it's just like you no, hit it's F4. Work, it. isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you would have had more material than you knew what to do oh, with. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And like, and I mean, luckily as a journalist, like, I'm kind of prepared for that because often you'll do an interview and you'll chat to someone for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you go, I've got 600 words to write. There's not many quotes you can squeeze. You know, like if you want to talk about it in a literal term, like a 30-minute interview is probably a couple of thousand, maybe 5,000 words in terms of a transcript. So to find 600 words out of that, like, so you constantly, your heart is constantly broken kind of going oh there's just so much great stuff that I can't get in there and it was just like a million times worse writing a book uh and 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 did it confound any of your theories or did it only uh, reinforce what you'd already thought um it reinforced what I thought but probably in a really positive way like um pretty much every interview I walked away from I just kind of went fuck women are awesome like um and and there was always something that someone said that I just kind of went that's changing my life in some kind of way for the better you know and and different people said different things but um yeah there was something in that that I just kind of I felt actually really hopeful for the way the book's going to be received because when you write a book like yeah 
God, it's like there's not like I'm never going to read that fucking thing again um, <laughs> because you just spend so much time with it. Like you do, like like sorry, just back, bang the microphone. But like for instance, with Lauren, like you do the interview and then you've thought about that before you do the interview and then you think about it in the car on the way home and then you transcribe the interview and then you read back on the transcript and then you're deciding what you're going to include from that interview Sounds in the kind book. Of creepy, and then and yeah, well you do like you just yeah. you just spent two hours having I just a chat had a good time and off you went. Then. But you know, like you're a huge part of my mental space for a really long time and mm. then you write the chapters and you're editing and drafting the chapters and you know and back, you know, there's just so much that goes uh, into it in that sense that I've forgotten what we were originally talking about. No, I, um, that's quite all right. Was there that's, anything, was there anything, that's your process, yeah. <laughs> was there yeah. anything that you had to fight for to get in the book that your editor perhaps thought wasn't um, interesting and you felt it really was important? Um, I was uh, I, one of the things I was really particular on was that I didn't want their quotes to be kind of tidied up or changed, like right. because obviously if you're writing a book about people using their voice, like even if maybe grammatically it's not correct or whatever, that's the way they said it, and that to me was something that was really important. Um, maybe if I wrote another book or when you write articles or whatever, then you tidy up quotes in a different way. But there was that that to me was kind of like you can't write a book about using your voice and then have people step in and sort of change those voices so and did you find yourself in circumstances where perhaps some of your interviewees were telling you things that they didn't intend to tell you um but you know women tend to over overshare but um and then you sort of found yourself confounded or you know challenged by the fact that it probably wasn't appropriate to print but it was a cracking good bit of uh, of context there, there was one interview i did uh, all the interviewees got to see their part of the book before so that everyone knows sort of what's going in there. And then there was one interviewee and she was fantastically candid. And I went, this is great. And I went, she's not going to want this to go in there. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, she emailed back going, was I fucking drunk? Like, what was I saying to you that day? Like, oh, my God. And, uh, And so we had a chat about sort of taking a few things out and all the rest of it because, you know, like, I mean, yes, it's really important to be honest and authentic, but at the same time, I'm not trying to fuck over people's lives. No, and, no, 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 and, not, you know, not what at you all. Say, what you say in, I don't know, March of one year when you're in the yeah. heat of something and yeah. then you read that, you know, 12 months later, you go, well, that might just destroy my career for oh, years. Yeah, no. I'm like, no, we're going to take that out because I'm... We're actually dating now and we're very happy. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, no, few old uh, social media posts that we regret. Having ever I said, know all Lauren's secrets. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, somewhere in your – am I allowed to say journey? Somewhere in your journey. Oh, my God, I'm like reality <laughs> journey. <laughs> I'm here for the right reason. <laughs> somewhere in uh, writing this book, um, of course, uh, the, the what has become now the sort of um, fondly remembered um, and dearly departed Eurydice Dixon – uh, her story became paramount to this work and you've dedicated the book. To anyone that doesn't uh, know or can't recall at the moment who Eurydice Dixon was, she was a young comedian working um, around Melbourne. Uh, she was going places um, and then one night, very regretfully, she was walking home um, and her life was ended by a, a young man um, and it absolutely put a rocket through the uh, comedy community in Melbourne. And uh, so, uh, how did that sort of change your perspective on what you were writing? Because you would have already been working on this and, mm-hmm. uh, and bubbling away with all of this. Um, how did it change my perspective? I mean, it's just horrifying. You know, any any instance of violence. But I feel it's what started this conversation, really. 
in, in well, in you'd already been working on it, but what started the conversation was female comedians working in unsafe environments and uh, being put into situations uh, where clearly um, their their lives were at threat, uh, and and that's what bubbled up through the social media circles. Uh, the amount of um, a sort of abuse that comedians have experienced on stage, but particularly, and uh, and again, I, I again, I kind of plead to the the compassion of the fellas in the audience. This is a particular kind of abuse because there's that um, that well-known saying now that that men are afraid women will laugh at them, and women are afraid that men will kill them. Um, and Eurydice Dixon's death actually really put that front and centre. Mm, I think mm, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, what we are really dealing with, because to get back to it. We do comedy. We're about making people laugh and having fun and, and entertaining and ter- telling stories and and being, you know, just oral narr- narrators. Uh, and that's the oldest profession in the world, really, apart from prostitution. Um, and they, they share some similarities. But um, <laughs> uh, and and so, but here we are in this kind of pitched battle for gender equity and and women's rights. And I guess I hate to say it, but Eurydice was um, an inadvertent martyr to that particular cause. I think that's fair to say. So mm. I guess, Joanne, what I'm uh, what I'm asking is, in your research and in the writing of your work, did you have any eureka moments about perhaps uh, where comedy is going at the moment? In, in terms of content, or in terms of the Eurydice uh, kind of, of safety um, stuff, w- women representing themselves mm. in equity um, around the comedic um, venues both here in Melbourne and around the world. I think one point that's really important to make uh, just on the Eurydice topic is that absolutely women as performers go into unsafe environments in the same way that all women potentially at times go into unsafe environments. But within comedy, I mean, you know, I mean, I think the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is really great in terms of being very progressive and very onto these kinds of things. And they're they're very much about creating safe spaces. And, and at the moment, they've just announced a, a get home safe kind of uh, initiative and all that kind of stuff. So they're really responding to these kinds of issues. So on that level, the industry is really great in terms of getting it and trying to do what they can but that doesn't mean that there's not these outlying rooms where you know and there's stories in the book where female comedians have been at gigs and they've been you know kind of felt up or felt um at, at in danger or threatened or, or or the rest of it so we're not there yet you know it's mm. not a it's not a perfect environment by any stretch of the imagination but i think i mean hopefully I mean, it's just terrific that a young woman has lost her life. But um, and and any young woman, or d- regardless of age, you know, any mm-hmm. kind of violence that results in that. But you know, if something positive can come out of that, is that again, it's about having the conversation, which then changes behaviour, which yeah. then changes and I think the outcomes. That's, that's exactly what she would have wanted, I think, out of all that. And it, it's it was very strange knowing Eurydice myself and when everything kind of went down and the comics were the first ones to know we knew before all the news had broken and Mm. all that sort of stuff Mm. and it was like a part of me was like you know they found somebody and then i'm like it's someone you know and then this whole just enormous amount of like media and everything and then it just kind of all picks up and goes off and i feel like maybe sometimes like people in in christchurch will feel the same way when you feel like hang on no this was that was my life that was my real life and everyone's kind of used it as a sort of media cycle and then we all move on but we're still here kind of picking up the pieces and trying to make sense mm. of something that's happened and and i think especially i know i've i know what eurydice 
because I've done that as well. I've walked home. I've not. I've wanted to be alone after a great gig. When you're like, you just want to relive it, and you're just in your mind, and it's a beautiful dark night, and we should all be able to walk home loving yourself for the achievement that you've done without someone coming in, or you, like, doesn't matter what time of day it should be. We should all be able to feel that exhilaration as a performer and as a person, and feel great about ourselves as we're moving through the world, you know. And I wouldn't. I'm not going to stop doing this because, and I'm not going to stop. Because because of because of, like well, Lauren, crazy did you, people out there. Lauren, you know? did you notice um, any change in the in the sort of mood or vibe um, in the relationships at the venues after that event? I do, I do, um, and I I got to tell you, for probably like a like a good month afterwards, there was a real uh, there was a bit more respect given to the women in comedy. Um, but then after maybe a couple of months, it all, it just went back to to the same all men on lineups no one caring how people are getting home like people kind of just moved on a little bit and that kind of hit me a little bit but now that we've got a little bit more distance from it and that sort of like the waters have kind of kind of you know it's been shaken up and they've sort of you know what's come out of the wash has just been this absolutely galvanized community and there is every every like even the open mics now everywhere you go everyone's got a little like you know thing about you know being a safe space all everyone that's asking you how you're getting home everyone's giving lifts home like there is just this upwards momentum happening um and the comedy festival has like sort of really kind of been a big huge part of it because they're sitting up there at this influence and it trickles down you know like be the change you see in the world you want in the world and 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 i think that's that's really causing everyone to sort of have a bit more pause and it's that thing. It's like you know, someone says, "Oh, you're so brave for getting on stage," and I'm like, "This is not the bra- this is not the place I need to be brave." You know, it's for a lot of people. It's getting off the stage and it's walking out there alone. What? Or maybe it's even going home to something else. Or or if, if you're getting off, you know, if you're a nurse or if you're mm. any time of any type of night, you know, like this is why being on stage is not brave. Okay, so no. It's fun though, and you can you can figuratively die. I'm sure. Have you have you ever died on stage? (laughs) Why would you ask such a question? That's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, I've felt the steely cold wind of a giant bomb stinking up the stage when you get off and you're like oh, i can't look anyone in the eye yeah. i'm going home to wash myself <laughs> of the failure that is surrounding me and yeah it happened probably probably my 10th gig i had a well, real, just when you thought you were doing big, oh when you get cocky you know because you have a few and they go really well and you're like oh i think i've got something behind this oh i don't know what smoke. everyone's talking about next judith lucy right here <laughs> And had that one gig and it, like, I just died. And, again, I wouldn't look anyone in the eye afterwards. And uh, no one looked me in the eye either. There was a real <gasps> yes, sense of, that like, is, that is the worst they bit will of just, a bad like, gig. turn their backs on you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, Lauren, yeah. su- success has many fathers, but uh, failure <laughs> is an orphan. Yes. <laughs> but, so. then I just, but then someone that saw me that gig saw me do really well, like, a few months later. And they're like, you've done much better, haven't you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, the old patronising <laughs> Philip. Well, um, so how did you – what, what, what was your comeback? How did you get back up again? 
I just, I, you don't take it personally. I know that sounds weird, but you, uh, you, I got bit by the comedy bug and you go into this zone where you're like, look, I bombed. All right, that's fine. I don't want to quit comedy. I don't feel like that's an option. How do I, you chase that dragon. You're like, how do I, how do I do better next time? How do I get back on board? I need to change that joke. I need to change this up. I just need to be better. I need to, you know, make sure that I'm comfortable before I go on stage. I'm not going to drink before I go on stage. I am going to drink before I go on stage. <laughs> like you just adjust and move and follow through as much as you can. And even then you still fail again. I saw like I did a gig with Denise Scott, which is also amazing because you can start when you start doing comedy, you can start meeting your idols straight away. I'm like, hi, Claire. <laughs> you know, like it's it's awesome. Um, but I, we're doing a gig together and we were the only two women on the bill and she comes right over me, over to me and says hello and that sort of thing because she's a legend. And she's like, oh, are you, gonna, are you going up tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going later. She's like, oh, I've got to go home. I'm sorry, I I'll miss your set. My, my, my son's making a vegetarian. And it was just... <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay. Um, He's a millennial. And she's like, oh, they asked me down. I've got some new stuff. You know, and I said I'd do it. I said I'd do the gig. And I was like, so does it get any better, Denise? And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't. It never does. She was still shitting herself. She'd been doing it for years. So I guess that's what it is, you know. You're still, uh, you're always learning um, how to be a better uh, stand up, um, and I guess maybe a little bit of a better person at the same time, and how to read an audience, how to read a room, how to uh, how did oh pardon me how did you how did you read the audience tonight? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, um, as you they guys all were right. stare what did you at you, waiting for that answer. Oh yeah, can break this down. I can get as comedy nerdy <laughs> as possible. Well, at least I watched you first of all. Um, because I wanted to see what you sort of did with the crowd and what they were responding well, to. I wasn't at my best tonight. Most. I was distracted. I didn't drink. Um, but no, I've got a lot on my mind, so it wasn't my best no, night. But you were friendly and I could see them, like you guys responding to just an open face and a smile and I kind of sort of felt, you know, maybe I'm not going to be like get out here and be like, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing? Kind of thing. Like just... Gent, like sort of very slowly kind of you know giving a few jokes and seeing how we're going and probably should have sworn less but that's cool what why that's do you think cool. that why do you think why do you think you should swear less um i don't want i don't want a, i don't want to swear to be a punchline i think that we all deserve more than that that said i've got a few swears that are punchlines but um, I, I, but I mean, I, you know, that's kind of just me at the end of the day. Sometimes with a, you know, a, like a, a, like a an environment like this, like a small, like a balls club or your RSL or something like that, and um, you know, you, the crowd's kind of a bit maybe you don't quite know what kind of day they've had, um, so maybe they're you know just wanting to have a chat with their friends and hear a couple of silly stories, or maybe they kind of want to see some shit. You know what I mean? Like kind of you know have a bit of escapism. Or something like that or I don't know there's a lot of different little factors and all you're doing all I'm doing is surviving up here I'm just surviving I'm seeing how long it takes for that joke to land okay so that means that the next joke I might be a bit quicker all right now okay they really liked that I'm gonna we're all gonna enjoy that moment together and then we'll move on and you saw Claire doing the same thing as well like when to pause, when to when to pull back, when to push forward, when to engage, but then when also to just let something ride. Like it's just a dance, you know what I mean? Like it just can go on and on and then, you know, I mean there was bits on stage I wasn't sure were going to work and they worked really well and, you know, 
it's 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 just like you just kind of there's a little man in the back of your brain going okay what do we need next so we're gonna get this one see if that works put that out there right you know but he's but, but a calm veneer of just like you know yes i shall present this thing to you you know does that, does that about sum it up? I feel like that's... I've talked enough about that. I don't know. I just I think that... Going. I think the little multitasking person up the back wasn't a man, though. Um, <laughs> now, he is, um, but he does everything I say. <laughs> oh, look, I, um, I guess I'm also... I, I'm sort of at that point, too. Um, we, we've all seen Handmaid's Tale. We know how things can go horribly wrong. Um, I, I'm also concerned, too, that there is... There's, such a lot of discussion around at the moment and if you check some of their facebook pages and social uh sites it gets pretty heated and people um don't hold back but i guess going forward uh for the for your theory joanne on no apologies to really work i think what we also need to look toward is um a future of comedy uh that doesn't have to delineate in any way between gender, between um, uh, uh, between sexuality, between race, between anything, and so that the no apologies theory is just uh, back to ground zero, which is stand up comedy is a narrative art. Some people are very good at it. Some people are really good at it, and and some people should perhaps choose a different career. But um, <laughs> you never know until you give it a go. And I don't know. I guess I'm just hoping that as we move forward, uh, perhaps we won't if I can be so kind, need a book that tells us what's wrong. Um, do, you, do you see that happening? Like, do you think there's a sequel? <laughs> mm. um, hmm. Yeah, maybe there's a sequel in a different, in a different way. Um, but, I mean, look, we're not there yet, you know, and that, I guess that's the whole point of this book is to try to speed that process up. And, and when we are, what will it look like? It's such, that's such a fun question, isn't it? Like that, that we just people will um, just get up on stage and be funny because funny is funny. Um, uh, it really, it, it really doesn't actually come down to gender. Funny is funny, mm. but but what you're talking about is breaking down the preconceptions that women can't be funny, and mm. yet we've had funny women around forever. And I, I think back to say people like Carol Burnett and Phyllis Diller. You know, they're the queen of them all, um, and the environments that they were working in. Something in them said to them, "Fuck it, just do it anyway," and they did, and they achieved it. So I would like to see uh, like like quite like gender parity in like the comedy festival guide. But but like if we open if it we up get and that. you're like, hey, here we are, you know, mm, like mm. a proper representation of the population on stage is what I would feel would be right. I think you may did you say this recently? How like it's also up to the audiences as well. Like it's up to you to vote with your feet, and if you want to support, and you know, then oh, go I and see did shows. say that. I in really like that. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but what was it? You say it better. Oh but, oh, but basically the idea is that we vote with our dollars and we vote as ticket buyers and that we, you know, in that sense, the audience has the power to create the world that I want to see. So, yeah. you know, we need to support the rooms that have diverse lineups and we need to support women or queer people or whatever. You, you have all the you goodwill know. in the world, right? But money makes sense, people. All right. True. Mm. But you That's can have what it's about. You can have all the money in the world, but but. But, but comedy is comedy and I guess uh, if anyone, regardless of whatever their background is, is prepared to get up on stage and have a go, then sure, support them. Um, ultimately, I guess you, you need to be good at your craft and what you've just described, Lauren, is a kind of a constant application to your craft and treating it a bit like, as you say, a dance or as an athlete, uh, which is not just to, to kind of wing it and be slack. 
um, actually be, be bothered to um, remind yourself that the audience have, have have taken the time to come out and have paid and have put yeah, things aside true. in their life true, true, true. to come and give you the attention that you've mm -hmm. asked for. You only get what you what you give, as well, you know, and that's genderless as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I think there so is too. A, there is a chapter in there where I may smash the living shit out of open mark nights, <laughs> and um, but but it but it comes back to that idea. It's just like just because you decide you want to stand on a stage doesn't mean that the audience owes you anything. Yeah, you mm. actually owe the audience the time in the writing and the time in the thinking and the time in the editing and the time in the practicing and mm. and all the rest of it. And having Lauren and I have both spent way too much time in open mic nights and and you see that that some people get up and they're completely unprepared and the, and they don't understand why the audience don't laugh and that you see other performers get up and at least they've got notes and and maybe if they haven't quite memorized it but you go but at least you've got exactly like everyone has a set list on the written on the back of their hand and but that means they've written material it means they're trying to remember what they've written that means they care about what they're doing and that's well, I mean when you, it's not like a full-scale theater production with like you know rehearsals and a script and actors and props and all that sort of stuff so you kind of you know it's got to come from somewhere right it's like you can't just and I mean you know comedy is an illusion you know when you people were like oh you come up with the you know you just think about it, it's just on the spot you know like you're kind of pretending that you've just thought of this amazing funny thing it's like, no, this is the hundredth time I've told this. I am sick of saying this, but I have to make sure that I, you know, bring it fresh every night because I know this will make people laugh and that's my job. That and is that's just my job. And that's the deception of it. And that's why people think, oh, you just get up and talk and at the end of a sentence oh, that's people what I laugh. Thought, right? Yes, you know? correct. And it doesn't quite work like it that. It does not. No, yeah. no, it's and, true. And we learn this in open mic nights and not everybody understands yeah. Comedy that. is an it's illusion. It's so good. It's such, such a good – I mean, I don't want to discourage – Sometimes I feel like the more I like complain or I feel complainy or that I'm, I'm bitching about it or I'm, you know, actually feel like I'm being really negative. Am I turning people off? You know, am I turning women off comedy? Why the hell would you want to come and do this if it sounds so horrible? And it's like, well, it's like what you were saying, you know, it's because it's worth it. It is so worth that sort of, you know, working and crafting on something and then getting the result and getting that approval and energy from and from, from it's an true. audience. It, curiously, it, it's it, worth it. it cures what ails you. And I guess also if you have a, a bead on what's going on contemporaneously or socially or in the news and so forth, it gives you that opportunity to, to really sort of... Uh, get that off your chest in a way that hopefully you've curated in a way that other people find interesting. And that was one of the concerns that Lauren raised with me in the interviews and she wasn't the only comedian to say that, that they were concerned that the book, they didn't want the book to be... Victim-y. Yeah, that, yeah. oh, my God, or I'm a woman in comedy, so I'm a victim, it's so hard, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, and, and I, I'm hoping I've struck that balance in there between acknowledging that there's difficulties and barriers but at the same time, like, you know... There's this They're getting thing. easier. You know, yeah. that's right, and um, and it is that thing. Like, it's an awesome thing to do a good gig and be on stage and tell your story and have it go well. And and absolutely, I, I guess to to some extent, I wrote the book because I kind of went, well, what kind of book would I have wanted to read when I was first starting to think about getting into comedy, and you know, and hopefully, kind of answering some of those questions and providing some inspiration for that kind of former younger self who mm. might be out there now reading the book or whatever. Well, comedy is an illusion. It's the art of curating honesty to look fresh, isn't it? But um, uh, obviously we still spend a lot of time uh, kind of making it up as we go along. Yes. So uh, 
quickly, I want to thank you, the audience tonight, for being not only a great audience for our podcast this evening, but earlier tonight. I always get such a kick out of watching everybody enjoy uh, the comedy that we have here at the uh, Newport Comedy Room as part of Stellavision. Thank you to uh, Scotty and Stewie and uh, all the women down on the working the bar. I think Matt's gone home now. Big thanks to Dave Stokes down here doing all the recording for our podcast. And a massive thank you to you for coming along tonight and sticking around for our podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you, Stella. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been Thanks a pleasure. Terrific. All right.